0: session for monday november the 4th 2019 first item on the work session agenda is to discuss a request for a resolution endorsing the energy innovation and carbon dividends act so i I think i should probably say a few words about this for the benefit of whoever's watching on television and maybe some people in the audience so we received a request to endorse the energy innovation and carbon dividends act which is um, house resolution 763 we received this request from jamie mccoy who was writing on behalf of the iowa city chapter of citizens climate lobby so Jamie reminded us that almost two years ago we adopted a resolution calling on Congress to put in place a carbon fee and dividend program. He also indicated that computer modeling uh, reveals that House Resolution 763, the act that we will be discussing, would mark a significant step toward a carbon-free economy while also stimulating economic growth. It would place a progressively rising fee on carbon fuels and return the revenue to households as monthly dividends. So congressional negotiations have resulted in this new bill, HR 763. And the new bill includes several differences from the one we endorsed back in 2017. So we're being asked to endorse House Resolution 763. I think you know I strongly believe we need such uh, such legislation primarily because i don't see how we can achieve our 2050 iowa city's 2050 goal without something without without the federal government enacting something like this bill uh, beyond that i think you, we've all now had a chance to read the written material from jamie and i know susan you asked us right. to defer so that we could have a chance to okay. do that So what do you all think about the request?
1: I'm happy to support it. I think it's – what I find interesting is there's bipartisan support in the Congress, which is unusual these days. Um, So hopefully we can get some things done. I think it gives us a different model to try and address uh, some of the climate concerns that we have and hopefully one that will uh, really provide some of that motivation and incentive for some of those changes. So I think there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of details to work out. This is, this is complex. There's lots of moving parts to it. Um, but I think it certainly is a, is a good process. And uh, with a number of people, of different political backgrounds that are working on it, I'm really happy to
2: support it. I, I agree. And I think the aspect of it uh, about stimulating the economic growth uh, with the dividends returning to the individuals, I think, is, is a very uh, good point.
3: I think the dividends returning to the individual, that was good, but I was a little worried about the impact up front. Um, And so I think with, you know, the dividends returning, that made me very comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I would agree with the mayor when he says that um, in order for us to achieve our climate action goals, we're going to have to get some help from the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so endorsing this, I think, is the right step for council to do, and so I'm definitely in support of it.
4: I agree, too. You know, since we have goal for 2050, we need to like some kind of support from the higher level, so we can achieve our goal, too. Yeah, definitely support it.
5: Yeah, I support it as well. And um, it seems like the, the, this area of legislation is still evolving. Um, as we're seeing, there were changes from when we approved the previous version. I was looking at some of the um, presidential campaigns, and it's still somewhat open-ended as far as what candidates are... Mm -hmm. supporting Um, but I suspect this is you know this is moving in the right direction and um, I think at this time it's it's a good thing to support
6: no I agree and we've been very careful as a council to sort of pick and choose which sort of state and federal and international issues we get involved with but I think this is a perfect one for us to be able to support in terms of that at that level of the resolution I think the proponents have done an incredible amount locally in terms of groundwork and reaching out to us individually I know I've gotten a lot of phone calls from Jamie. I haven't responded to all of them, but I've been calling a lot. Uh, And in the past, uh, we've had a lot of good conversations on that. So I think this is precisely the sort of uh, thing that we should be supporting, because Jim's right. Uh, We're not going to achieve what we need to achieve uh, without the help of both the state and federal government.
2: Yep.
0: Very good. Sounds like we have a unanimous judgment about this. So could we ask our staff to put together a resolution for us based partly on what Jamie submitted to us and maybe partly on the one we adopted back in 2017. Y'all figure that out and we'll move from there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Super. So we can, uh, congratulations, Jamie. Thanks for your hard work on this. So we can move ahead to the next uh, part of our work session agenda, which is clarification of agenda
4: items. I have uh, item number 9I and yay. It is a request from housing to home for immediate grant of 25000 to support their work. I, I just want to know that should we just talk about this now or bleed out of the agenda or how does this work?
0: Well, it, it's <clears throat> it's just a communication requesting funding, so we can't a- formally act on it. But yeah, we, can, uh, we yeah. can indicate if there's something we want to do, like support them in the mail. Sure, that that's request. really what
4: I'm going to ask. I want to see if there's support from the council so we can give the city manager to write a letter of recommendation or whatever the process is.
0: Well, <laughs> they've certainly done their homework, and they've certainly worked pretty hard in getting letters supporting their request for some initial funding. Uh, But I think we need to hear from Jeff uh, about what staff thinks uh, in terms of the request.
7: Sure. Sure. Um, So uh, our staff has been in conversations with Houses and Homes for um, some time right now. Um, We're having active discussions with them to see if we can obtain some waste diversion funds. So our landfill and recycling staff is working with them. And, And while we don't have anything firm right now, we're we're optimistic that we may be able to access uh, some uh, state grant dollars uh, for a mattress recycling effort, uh, which would again be waste diversion. So part of what they do obviously keeps uh, products out of the landfill, uh, which aligns with with our goals and hopes. With that operation, um, we think uh, what may be possible there is about ten thousand dollars, and we'll continue to work towards that. We think uh, we think that would be uh, uh, they would be a worthwhile. Partner in our waste diversion efforts. You know, periodically throughout throughout the year, we'll get funding requests like this at the staff level. I'm sure you probably get it in, in just day-to-day council interactions uh, from nonprofit agencies, and there is no shortage of nonprofit agencies in in this community that could use additional funding, be it for staff or be it for for some operational purposes. Uh, at the staff level. We, we funnel those through the aid agencies process. And you've been through the aid agencies process a number of times, you know it's extremely competitive and that there's always pressure to increase those funds or increase the number of people re, uh, receiving those funds. Over the years, uh, you've taken action, you've created emerging, uh, emerging funds, you've set aside some of those for, for new uh, organizations to help get them started. Uh, this past year, you doubled the aid agencies budget. Uh, so that uh, there were more funds to access. I don't personally like um, doing one off requests like this. I don't think that's a good um, practice for us to be in because you're going to get a lot of requests if you don't already hear those already. You certainly will from other agencies, again, who do great work, just like Houses into Homes um but that uh but that could use additional dollars whether it's to keep their doors open or to expand operations or whatever the case may be so um that that would be my my caution to you is is you need to consider what the precedent is that you're setting with this and you need to to think about um, how that is um, how that's received by those agencies that that go through a very detailed, thorough process in your aid agencies program, where they have to justify their needs every year and report, and have commissioners visit their site. Um, they they go through a lot to access those funds, and um, for other agencies to come in and just access them without going through that process uh, is. Um, would raise some questions if you decide you do want to fund them um, I encourage you to use existing revenue sources and you've heard this from me before so I would um, first turn your attention to our affordable housing dollars uh, with our new um, disbursement model that that you approved several months ago there was a set aside for opportunity funds and based on the current affordable housing budget that you you have this fiscal year of a million dollars, I believe it's $75,000 are, are set aside for those opportunity funds. And those were really left undefined and, and um, for council to, to determine how, how really you want to do that. Those were kind of the meant to address um, situations that come up throughout the year that, that – um, maybe we haven't been able to address it as well as you would have liked in years past. So if you decide to go down that path, I would encourage you to look at those opportunity funds and draw down those first before you move to reserves or contingency funds. Mm-hmm.
4: Have they applied for anything or get anything before from us? Or?
7: Um, I believe that they've received either emergency funds or climate action. Climate action? A Five s- small $5,000 climate action grant they've received. I guess my oh, – go ahead.
4: Uh, I, I just want to say that, you know, um, I don't like the idea that we can take from affordable housing for this. There is many, many sources that, as a city manager, you can approve up to 25000 right, without even coming so. back to us? Is yes. that true?
7: Yes.
4: And how much is your budget now left for the year? Do you have that twenty-five there? W- what
7: like budget?
4: Like, from where, usually when you approve... Uh, like some money for anyone, like le- more than less than twenty-five thousand. Where that money come from? Do you have a budget? I I don't remember.
7: Well, there's a number of different line items that that you may be thinking of. We have uh, f- like a sponsorship budget, for example, that we usually do two or three thousand dollar sponsorships. If you have a a conference coming into town or you have a special event, and we get asked for that, we have some discretionary dollars th- there. Um, The larger pot that you may be thinking of is the Economic Development Discretionary Funds, Um, and we use those, uh, and and that kind of goes through the EDC process. We've used those for business support um, and for arts and culture events. Uh, So, for example, at the last EDC meeting, there was consideration for a a new film festival in town, and and those dollars were really specifically designed for um, those events that bring in tourism and support businesses directly, that the nonprofit support pot is really all that aid agencies, those aid agencies. Yeah,
4: I understand that it is, but now this has come after the agency to agency, you know. This is something like comes suddenly, not being planned for maybe. That's why I think there is many other sources
7: besides affordable housing. You can use
4: general fund That we can take out. Yeah. And there is saving, and we have a lot of things. I really don't like the idea that we, each time we need something, we have to take it from affordable housing, as if that's not, I think, a very good thing that to save for.
7: Well, the reason I suggest that is obviously this impacts the quality of housing that, that people have. And you have a discretionary pot of money uh, for affordable housing. So I think it's a natural fit. But clearly, you can choose to use general fund reserves or contingency dollars.
1: Before we talk about it I guess before we even talk about a source of funding, I think we need to talk about are we willing to do that and sure. and i 'm really concerned um, you know about the process we we have a very specific process in place for nonprofits through the aid to agency application and I think you know as Jeff alluded to. One of the things I think that's really important about that is we've got a whole commission that looks at a fairly detailed application about what the agency is doing, what the services are, you know, what their funding is, you know, et cetera, how they're doing things, high, intermediate, low need, et cetera, and ranks them and then makes those determinations. And so for me, I look at this and, yeah, there's like eight or nine letters of support, but there is absolutely no real detail, you know, in terms of, yeah, there's some numbers of how many they've served, et cetera, but not the same. It doesn't allow us, nor do we, are we taking the time, I think, to do the kind same kind of analysis that is done through the aid to agencies. And so, one, I think it's important that it go through that process so it gets the same kind of vetting that all the other nonprofits do. Secondly, I'm really concerned, and and Jeff mentioned this, we have... We have more nonprofits in this community than we can possibly ever fund, and a lot of them are doing a lot of really, really good work. And I think by taking a, a one-off application like this that doesn't follow the other procedures that we have in place, one sets us up for um, a lot of applications out of the aid agency sequence, and number two, I think allows for um, some very unfair decisions, and certainly the perception. Of unfair decisions by other nonprofits. Take a nonprofit who, you know, last year went through that aid agencies process or is going to go through it again this year and doesn't get money. And then, like, well, wait a minute, how did did you just drop 25 grand on an agency that didn't even go through the same due diligence process that we went through, but we didn't get anything? Um, And I also think in looking at the letters, I'm concerned that there's and, I, and I've talked to some of you, Maz, you and I talked about this at the Listening Post. I know, Bruce, you and I have talked about this. I'm really concerned about the, the increased number of nonprofits in our community without any kind of coordination of who's doing what and how much overlap there is and how they're being funded, how much is being spent on, um, like, executive directors or overhead or... I think we need to do that there's not unlimited amounts of resources whether it's volunteers public money or private money so while i think they've been doing great work i think the timing is wrong and i think the procedure is wrong i think the timing it, it, to me it needs to go through the aid agencies process and we somehow have to get on our calendar a mechanism to do an evaluation of the nonprofits in our community and how they are coordinating their efforts so we're being as efficient as possible with all of our resources. So John,
0: John and I met with uh, Lucy Barker and Selena McCarty about this topic, I don't know, two weeks ago, John, Yeah, roughly? Something. Yeah, and as a part of that conversation, I said basically the same things you've been saying, Susan. That, but I also said, send us a request, we'll see what the council pref- chooses to do, because I, I didn't want to say yes or no, because I don't have the power to say yes or no. Uh, but I did make it very clear that there's a process we want agencies to go through, and this is outside the process, and therefore that's, there's got to be some really special but, reason why why we would uh, provide an exception basically for this.
6: But, of course, we have done individualized funding and of other nonprofits to the tune of a million dollars. So mm-hmm. um, so this notion that every nonprofit goes through the same I, I don't think it's necessarily true. There's the aid to agency. I view this as economic development because I view when we have low access, a low barrier to entry for homes, these are in future employees. So I don't, this could fit under the aid to agencies label, but in my view, this is absolutely economic development um, because we're helping provide. And they are helping to provide furniture for people whose homes are empty of any furniture at all. And I think that they have made their case in terms of the source of funding. I think ultimately it'll probably be a decision for the next council. But I guess my recommendation would be a preliminary recommendation that staff further investigate possible funding sources at the level of 25,000 subject to the next council's review on that. So I think we should support it. I think we do need to be as consistent as possible, but on the other hand, I think that they've made their case, and I think it is a particularly urgent issue that they're dealing with um, in terms of low cost. I mean, there's a lot of people right now watching, hopefully, on the TV, um, but they don't have any furniture in their homes at all.
8: Exactly.
6: Um, and it's, it is a crisis, and we talk about emergency funds, um, whether it's emergency fund or whatever, I think it is an emergency, and I think we should at least make that preliminary recommendation subject so, to so further Bruce, approval. Bruce,
3: Pauline, John, what do you think? And I, I, I want to make a comment about this. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I hear what Susan is saying, and I agree that there is a process that you know we should behold, behold our agencies too. But like what what Rockney just said, there is a lot of agencies that haven't gone through that process. Beside that point, I really believe that we're looking at the human dignity of people within our community right now today. That we cannot wait until July or whatever you know the case um, may be. Right now, as a council, we're being asked to support the mission of this agency. I 101% support it. When you go out and you find children laying on the floor uh-huh. without a bed. That's basic need. Sleep is essential. And so for me, I think that it is something that council should jump to cautiously, (laughs) but still jump to and support. And I understand that there might be other people with other thought processes about this, but um, about other agencies that is doing this. But right now we have the opportunity to help this one agency houses into homes. If you've ever gone out, which I've done, and going to a house that's empty, it, it changes your life. Mm-hmm. So for me, I am definitely supportive of it. And I don't do the, I'm not going to um, promote the contingency on another council. I'm going to um, maybe make the proposal, which I, I guess we have to get it on a future council to um, even, you know, put it on the next agenda is what I would propose so that we can figure out where 25,000 come from.
2: Although I I agree with Susan as far as, and that was my first impression when I read this request, uh was that the process was kind of backwards and and uh why didn't they go through the process we didn't really want to set a precedent no, uh with with one group versus another but the more I thought about this particular group of um, uh nonprofits their mission is a little bit different than I think some of the agencies that apply for the aid to agency funds are um, as Bruce mentioned the human dignity part of it and getting the furniture for the folks uh, and it also, I think, has some very positive aspects. As far as Jeff had mentioned, there are other means that that we could look at. As far as the uh, uh, waste diversion funds and the mattress diversion, uh, those kinds of things, we can help them uh, get those funds. We wouldn't necessarily maybe have to do twenty five thousand, but at least help them out with with getting those kinds of funds too. Don?
5: Well, I, um, you know, as Jim mentioned, uh, he and I both met with with. Um, You know, Lucy and uh, what is Selena? Selena. 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 And uh, while I I certainly would prefer that this be handled through our process, uh, I was really impressed with the organization. I was, uh, I felt they had identified a need and fulfilled it that I didn't even know existed, Uh, and they're doing it in you know with all the support documentation in a way that. Um, is extraordinary. They had modeled their organization after uh, one they had found in Minneapolis. So, I mean, I, I really felt they understood what they were getting into. And they had a, a gap in, in their f- finances. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it seemed to me a, a, a small bet to make uh, that serves, uh, you know, an important need. Uh, they had, I think, an extraordinary Range of support, including from some of the groups and agencies, organizations that are funded through our aid agencies. so uh, that too, I thought, you know this, yeah, I, I don't know that the precedent aspect of this is is that critical. I mean, I think we as a council have the ability to evaluate proposals as they come to us and decide whether or not they're acceptable or not and how they affect our overall process. Um, but yeah, I I think, foremost, I was just really impressed with what they were doing and how they presented their proposal.
4: I just want to add one thing. You know, I don't know if you guys have a first-hand experience with the people who receive the furniture. I do. And I know how happy those people are mm-hmm. when they get, like, bed for their children and how happy the children were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this project is really amazing project, mm-hmm. uh, and I think... We, we ha- I understand that they just come out of the blue to ask for, for this. It is uh, you know, not like for the agency. It's already passed and everything. But sometimes we have to look at the value of the project itself mm-hmm. when it suddenly comes. Uh, this is not going to be the last project. We're going to receive something sometime, but we have to look if that's something really we have to just do it because it has a lot of meaning as Rockney said, like economic economic development and social justice and all these kind of Mm -hmm. things. Uh, I really definitely support it and support the whole 25,000, and I wish it could come from the Economic Development Fund.
6: So I will agree with Bruce's position in terms of the timing of it. Um, I had talked about not wanting to tie the future council's hands, um, but I think you have persuaded me, Bruce, in terms of the urgency of it, so I would second Bruce's position.
0: So it's clear that there's support for providing 25,000 in funding. but Rockney, in your first statement, you suggested that we um, direct staff to come up with suggestions about how to provide that 25,000 in funding.
6: Right? I still think that would be a good idea. yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, uh, that makes sense to me because you've already identified some potential sources of funding, which uh, could amount to I don't know 10,000 or so. But in any event, I'm I'm, I'm clearly hearing support for.
3: I know mods don't want the affordable housing, but I would be, I think this would be a great opportunity.
4: This economic development, this has nothing to do with affordable housing. (laughs) We are not paying the rent. Okay, okay. Okay. Really, we are not paying the rent. Uh, It's really killing me when people take them from affordable housing and we are not doing affordable housing yet. There is okay. many, and it's only 25,000. Okay. You can find right. many, the right. city manager can find many sources of that. And I started knowing a lot, but I can find our sources for that too. Well, but I think uh, why, you why can do that.
0: Let's defer that debate to some future time. But right now we're deciding yes, we want to provide 25,000 in funding to this particular organization, yes. houses into homes. And Bruce, I was really impressed with the description you just provided. Yeah. I mean, about why this matters from sort of a moral ethical point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're here.
1: I'd like to make one final comment because I, I truly believe that, I truly believe that as a council to do our work effectively and fairly, we have to have procedures in place that we have agreed on, that makes sense, and we and that we follow. And and I'm not sure who you were talking about, Rockney, If I might ask, who got a million dollars? In-
6: no, I, I'm not going to publicly identify other nonprofits. But in terms of capital projects with the TIF, I, I mean, so I don't want to get that into went that. a
1: process. I mean, that that well, wasn't an aid to agencies but, uh, process. Uh, sitting on the, the Economic Development Committee,
6: we have seen requests from nonprofits for appropriations. Um, right, that did not go through aid to agencies. They were nonprofits. And so I'm saying, is as between the two, if we're talking about arts and entertainment, which I'm very supportive of, and I'm very, but and we're talking about putting beds and furniture in people's homes, I think in terms of our priorities, our priorities should lie there first. Um, as opposed to those
2: Okay,
1: but my point is in both cases we have a process we have have a process for them to approach us either through economic development and we have done things because we believe that some of those nonprofits really impact our economic development arts entertainment cetera Mm -hmm. and we have our aid agencies but in both cases we have processes that we use to and I think that's important. I think the more we deviate from those, I think the, the, as I said earlier, I think the more the potential for us to be unfair and for agencies to feel like we're being unfair, that they're not getting the same opportunity. I don't feel that the same kind of um, review and due diligence of what that organization is doing is taking place. It's being based on, you know, a single letter and, and a number from them and then obviously the letters of support, but certainly not the same kind of due diligence that is done through the aid to agencies process. Is the work they're doing important? Yes. Is it more important than others? I, I would bet that Prelude, who's dealing with people who are on the verge of dying of, of uh, drug issues, or Shelter House who is dealing with homeless people who are still homeless um, and are not getting housed and are not getting furniture. Um, So to say that this is the most important one and is critical, I think is is insulting to a lot of the other agencies. I'm actually
3: insulted by you right now. Because what you're saying is that our decision that we've made as council members is saying to other agencies that they don't matter. And that's not what we're saying. Well, that's what I feel. It, right now it feels insulting that you're, we've made a decision as a council to move forward, given Jeff direction. I understand you wanna make one last plea you know, to state for the record that as council, you're right we're here about processes, I I would agree. But at some point, we have to go with what our heart says. That may not be all in agreement, and we may be outvoted sometimes where our heart really feels a certain way. But allow council to make a decision and don't come back and make us feel bad about that decision. This is a great opportunity for the people in our community. Mm
4: -hmm. I guess, Mr. Meyer, I see clear Support for this. Many times I, when I speak, after people support, you ask me to say, "Hey, Maz, I see clear support. Let's move on." Mm-hmm. So please, let's move on here because it's, it's a bit. It, I will feel fair when now people have a decision. We should move out because you told me that before. Mm-hmm. Oh, Would many you times let you us had move? spoken afterwards.
1: so.
0: Of, let's not get it. get into this too deeply. So uh, I think you've been very clear, Susan, about your view on that point and others have expressed their views as well. So we can move on. So other agenda items. I I, wanna mention something that connects to the climate action work. So uh, another piece of correspondence, item 9C, which uh, pertains to an email from Steve Rohrbach concerning the 2021 International Energy IECC whatever that acronym stands for it's a it's a zero code renewable energy appendix but this this is a a way of coming up with um, um, international energy standards that typically eventually get applied in the state of Iowa, Iowa adopted by the state of Iowa so anyhow Steve Rohrbach uh, says we're urging that the certain appendix be applied which would ena- would en- enable states to adopt state energy codes that give local jurisdictions the discretion to adopt zero energy standards. And that matters. And I th- if I remember right, Jeff, we've already signed on to that, or at least I know we exchanged some, some emails about that. And signed on to it in terms I, I believe of the that's the case I'd have yeah. to double check yeah I'd have to double our check staff too. is
7: certainly plugged into those conversations yeah. and we do have votes on those matters so yeah
5: that's a better way to put it
0: but uh, I want to praise Steve Rohrbeck in any event yeah.
5: I had uh, <coughs> some questions on 9k and 9l on the Burlington Madison intersection um, Jeff, is what, what's the status on that? It, I, look, looking at the photos that were included in the submittal, you know, the, the pedestrian accommodations were were pretty compromised. I was,
7: this is uh, Jason. This is the Burlington Madison fence that was put up for the university projects.
9: Yeah. So this these messages were in response to the traffic control at the Burlington Madison intersection. It's related to work on university projects. So we've reached out to them, um, visited the site, taken a look at things. And it certainly looks like there's um, some additional signage that's needed. I think what you were seeing in some of those pictures are people that are choosing to go around the fencing that's in place. So we're hoping to get some additional signage, get some additional measures up there to help them get through that area correctly. the area in question is going to be uh, dug up here shortly if it hasn't already. Um, there's some storm sewer work and some additional work that has to happen right at that intersection. Typically, we like to keep those um, curb ramps and the curb ramp areas open so that all four corners are accessible. In this case, it's just not feasible. Uh, due to the depth and the location of the work that they need to do, we're going to have to close that that um, quadrant of the intersection. Uh, unfortunately, it's in an area where it's... Pretty difficult with pedestrians, just given what we have for other crossings. You know, especially just to the west of there, you have the river, and so it's we're working through that. But um, we're in contact with the university. Th- Their um, design consultant has sent out additional information and requirements to the contractor, so we're hopeful that that signage will be up here shortly.
0: We definitely need better signage. I, I was down there earlier this afternoon, and while I was standing at the corner, the northeastern corner of that intersection. Two young women came up, and they were talking about how to get across the street and how to walk down the sidewalk. And one of them started laughing, ran out in the street, and walked on that really narrow strip of concrete that runs on the southern edge of the sidewalk going west, You know, the north sidewalk going west. The other woman stayed back. And w- we are saying, no, I'm going to go the way they want us to go. But we need to have better signage for yeah, sure. And
9: one of the, some of the feedback we've given them is to actually have detours out there so it will direct people, based on their destination of choice, which direction they should be going. Because it is a little confusing. You kind of get off, sort of off the beaten path a little bit, and it's tough to tell if you're actually going the right way or not. So hopefully here in, in the very near future, there'll be much more signage to help people with their
5: directions. Is, what, what I've often seen is, you know, where you have this sort of, Work being done, and, and is that the, the if if you have a parking lane, you convert the parking lane to a you know pedestrian flow uh, with with barriers to protect it. And we don't have parking, but in this case, taking a travel lane. You know, if if you're working in the area that would normally be used for pedestrian circulation, if that's taken out of commission, provide provide that. Detour, but it's not, it's consistent with the current, you know, what would normally be used for pedestrian circulation and protect it with a barrier. Uh, But sometimes, I mean, if the detours are too, too much of a detour, you know, people aren't going to comply with it. And
9: and we had looked at that on Madison somewhat. The concern that's there is there's going to be a fair amount of trucks coming in and out, and I think there were some concerns with having to cross truck traffic with pedestrians in in an unsafe situation there. So it was something we had looked at. I think in this situation, we just didn't feel it was the best solution.
0: Any other questions for Jason on this topic? Thanks. Any other agenda items? Okay, I'm not hearing any, so let's turn to the information packets. How about the October 17 packet? It was, it was pretty light.
1: Climate Action Expo, uh, November 21st, 5.30 at Big Grove.
0: Yeah, so, um, Ashley, can you give us a quick synopsis of what's going to happen at the Expo? Come on, spur the moment.
10: (laughs) Um, So the Expo is going to be a great opportunity to um, celebrate, I think, what steps come next. So next week we'll release our 100-day report to Council. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that at the Expo, but also have... Uh, speakers from the city and from the community, and uh, everything from nonprofit agencies to uh, business, to provide uh, just some context about what has been done so far and what projects, or programs, or initiatives kind of lay ahead for everybody, and uh, engage the public in further ways that they can get connected either through services that are provided by the city or other agencies. Um, you know, people might want to sign up for an energy audit at their home, those kinds of things, and then enjoy some nice food um, that we'll provide. We'll provide the food.
0: Will net zero carbon beer be made available? <laughs> it's a joke, inside joke. Never mind. <laughs>
4: That's that <not> dying.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, any other items on that uh, info packet?
2: IP2, it was nice to see the email from Mark Sines acknowledging uh, recognition by the Iowa chapter of the American Planning Association for our Affordable Housing Action Plan. So kudos to staff for making that plan. Okay, let's move on to the October
0: 24th packet. I wanna mention IP number four. There's an, uh, what, two articles or whatever concerning our new community outreach assistant daisy torres uh, and then there was a headline article in what the day daily island yeah so yeah sh- um, uh, welcome aboard daisy if you're watching i mean it's really exciting that you're joining us daisy for those of you who don't know is a 22 year old spanish-speaking grad from the university of iowa who majored in criminology uh, she's from Chicago, I think. So I, I really look forward to meeting her. At, uh, I think uh, Captain Denise Brotherton has arranged a meeting, f- f- thanks to Jeff's help, for me with Daisy. So I'm looking forward to talking with her and learning a little bit more about her.
4: Yeah, I would like, I was trying to do the same thing welcome Daisy to Iowa City Police Department. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Any other items on the 24th packet?
4: The speed, twenty-five for the IB, IB five? No, that's the thirty-first. I'm sorry. That's the
7: thirty-first, yeah.
4: That's the one that you guys asked about. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Okay, we want to move ahead to the October thirty-first packet, the Halloween packet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I want to ask John a question with regard to IP number four. Which is, has to do with the pending work session topics. The second item, you know, is to consider a plan for rubberized surfacing at play, uh-huh. park playgrounds. I think you were the person who asked to have that on the pending work session list. Do you still want it to be there?
5: Well, I, I, has any any discussion taken place with, say, the Parks Commission on on that item?
7: Yes, I think uh, I think Julie's ready for that discussion when the council is. Okay. The Parks Commission, uh, I think it was July or August, had some deliberations on it.
0: Okay. Okay. So much for that.
7: You want us to remove that? Or do you want us to schedule well, that?
0: Well, I, I guess we could just keep it on there until we have that discussion okay. or until the council does. Yeah. Okay, uh, the IP number 5 on the October 31st packet, uh, that's, uh has to do with the memo about speed limits on Dubuque Street. So I know staff needs direction about this. Uh, would you
7: or Jason? I think Kent or Jason, are you Kent, prepared to walk talk you through yeah. the, the mm-hmm. memo and the analysis that they performed?
8: Yeah, good evening. Kent Ralston, transportation planner. Uh, just for, by way of some background, uh, at your August 6th city council meeting, uh, the council directed staff to perform some additional analysis on Dubuque street, uh, approximately between Kimball road and Ridge road. Uh, as you know, as part of the recently completed, uh, gateway project on Dubuque street, the speed limit, uh, prior to the project was 35 and then it was reduced to 25, uh, mile per hour. Uh, That posted speed limit was established as part of the design elements uh, that you all approved uh, back in 2014, or council approved back in 2014, Uh, and that included things like lane widths, uh, location of crosswalks, widths of sidewalks, uh, so on and so forth, and one of those items was also the posted speed. Uh, Given the corridor's relatively high pedestrian volumes, the intent of those design elements, I think, was in part to calm traffic and have a more uh, pedestrian-friendly environment, Uh, despite our best efforts, uh, vehicle speeds remain higher than desired. Uh, And in your packet, I included some data that was collected uh, with respect to uh, vehicle speeds uh, and 85th percentile speeds that were collected uh, the week of September 9th uh, ranged roughly from 36 mile an hour uh, to about 41 and a half uh, mile an hour or so. so. Um, suffice it to say, much higher than the 25-mile-per-hour posted speed limit. Uh, In addition to collecting vehicle speed data, staff also observed uh, pedestrian activity in the area. Um, Both the east and west sidewalks, uh, the trail on the west, the sidewalk on the east, both have about 200 or so pedestrians a day. Uh, So we were right that it is a a very uh, pedestrian-intense corridor. However, we did note uh, during our our observations that a lot fewer pedestrians actually cross at the mid-block crossing at the Mayflower than we had anticipated. And I think that's just a result of folks uh, choosing to use the east sidewalk, uh, heading south and then crossing at the the controlled uh, signal at Park Road. Based on the, oh excuse me, uh, we also reviewed collision history uh, since completion of the project and there have been no bike or ped uh, incidents reported. And there's really not been a discernible change in Number of collisions or severity collisions since the the project was complete. Uh, Based on the vehicle data collected, pedestrian observations, and confirmation that the design of the roadway can support a 35 mile per hour speed limit, staff is recommending uh, that get changed back to 35 mile per hour. Um, And if you choose to uh, change that back to 35 mile per hour, there's no council action needed because in the code it's still notified uh, or it's still codified, excuse me, as a 35 mile per hour corridor. So, happy to so Kent, the key
6: point here is that it is discretionary. There's nothing requiring us to go up to 35. And at 25, there's nothing that um, the engineers would say that it's sort of inconsistent with the design. So, this is a discretion and a choice on our part, correct?
8: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Um, there are some parameters we look at. One is the 85th percentile speed, like we talked about. Um, but certainly, there's more discretion than that. Okay.
9: I think one thing that I would add is basically this is, as we've gone through and done this analysis, our professional uh, opinion would be that it would be 35 would be the appropriate speed. So, I mean, certainly there's different arguments that could be made, but when we look at the data, look at kind of where we're at today, that would be our professional opinion.
4: I have a question for you. I just want to ask you if we increase this speed limit, will they increase or will this increase? Or decreased, have any effect on the probability of traffic accident? So, if we increase it or if we left it at, so if at we twenty-five,
9: were to increase the speed limit, would it affect the likelihood
8: of accidents? Or
4: accidents.
8: Mm-hmm. I, no, I don't. I don't think it would because the eighty-fifth percentile speeds are already at thirty-five or actually higher so i would say that if anything it m- may actually make it safer because in our industry we want folks to travel at the same speed regardless of what this, regardless of what corridor it is um, differentials in speed is sort of the uh, um well it's something we try to avoid
4: that's a great point right now it's 25 and the average speed is 33. do you think if we increase it they're gonna go like more like 40 because now it's 25, and they're actually moving on the average of 33. That means we don't have to do anything, and they're still going to move on, like, over 30.
8: Right, so the theory behind the 85th percentile speed is that's what the, the public will travel at because they feel safe doing so. Um, you could post it at 65-mile-an-hour, but the likelihood of people going that fast isn't very good because they're not going to feel comfortable for the conditions. Uh, in this case, they feel comfortable traveling between 35 and 40, so that's what they're doing. That's sort of the Usually theory
4: behind Usually the that. driver, and including me, if the traffic speed is 30, I'll go a little more than 30, 30, 30 too. And that's why I'm just, like, concerning if we put it 35, they will drive, like, thirty-seven, forty, forty. 40, now it's thirty three they will arrive like forty three or something like that, and also the distance is really not that long it's very short distance uh, you know from cumber road and but this short distance have a lot of cars moving on that direction uh, i don't know, but this is
1: I, I look at it and, me oh, sorry. I look at it as it is an arterial coming into the city off from the interstate, and and it's, it's well-designed. I think it's, you know, you've got the space. To me, one of the reasons we're seeing some, seeing that 85th percentile where it is, is is a computation of two things. It's designed that way. It's, it's designed to be safe at 35 miles an hour, and until you get down to Foster Road, you're headed downhill, all right? I don't think because we increase it to 35 that you're going to see a huge increase in the speed. I think people are going what they see as it being designed for and safe for. One thing I'm really pleased to see is that we're not seeing a lot of pedestrians crossing at the Mayflower, that they're actually taking advantage of that sidewalk on the east side. And that we're not seeing as many during the peak hours as we had originally thought because then, there's just less chance for conflict between vehicles and pedestrians. Um, I'm in favor of raising it to the thirty five i think it I think it makes sense. I think having it twenty five and having people go that much higher, either we need to enforce it, which means we're going to be wasting resources out there, or as you said, can you've got people more variation in speed because you've got those who are going to strictly follow it and those who aren't. When I come in on Dubuque, it is inevitable that you get to those electric signs and all of a sudden there's braking. And to me, that's a better chance for an accident than having a speed limit that matches the design of the roadway.
0: Oh, I don't agree with that, but I agree with everything else you said pretty much. I want to ask you all a question about um, uh, the well, about the topic we're discussing. Right before our work session, we got a couple emails, one from Donald Baxter, who you all know well, and the other from Greg Shills, who you know well, and they both objected to reducing the speed limit or changing the speed limit to a higher speed. I wonder if you've had a chance to read those, because we, we, I didn't really have time to read them. Um, no, I didn't. Maybe you could. Yeah. Could you all take a look at them? <laughs> I mean, you know, and then we can... Have further conversation, but.
4: Uh, and I, I really don't know, uh, is this something gonna increase, for, like from, from climate actions point of view? The, the, the faster you drive, the more fuel you used, and this is, no, is this I, something gonna affect that? I don't I, think I, between I, 25 I, and
0: 35. Yeah, I, I, I doubt think that I, would be meaningful.
3: I guess for me, uh, you know, the road itself. It doesn't feel 35. I mean, it doesn't feel 25. And so while you're driving, I, and many people that I talk to, they're all in favor of the 35 um, miles per hour. So I, I'm definitely for it. I think um, it doesn't feel natural at 25. I think I feel safer at. Um, I, I do the speed limit, but uh, but I feel safer going 35. Or, you know, in that area, so I, I definitely would be in support of the increase.
6: Kent, have we noticed a spike in accidents before it was 35? The argument is, is that it's safer now. We're at 25. The argument is that it will be safer if we go back up to 35 since we've gone down to 25 have you seen any statistically significant increase or any increase at all in either motor vehicle collisions personal injuries with the lower speed limit
8: no and in fact it's been hovering uh, for about the last five or six years at about the same number of accidents and about the same severity. So we're really not seeing much. So it's much
6: neutral compelling. safety wise.
8: Right. Okay. And this is what we've, I mean, staff struggled with this one because I think most of us would like to keep it slower if we could, but to be honest, there's just no compelling reason um, for us to to keep it at 25 in terms of staff's opinion.
2: But along those lines, if people, as Mazda here has alluded to, do tend to go faster than and are going 40 to 45, that could increase the chance of accidents. And I think the only way that I would be supportive of this change is if we could continue to uh, have the speed, those speed monitors up to keep track, not necessarily the flashing light that says you're going 25 or 35, but the monitor system, that, uh, if the police have that capability and and if we find that 85 percent are now going 45 miles an hour and accidents are increasing I I think we would have to go back sure
8: yeah we can certainly revisit the topic Um, and to be clear I don't think changing the speed increasing the speed limit will increase the number of collisions but it it could increase the severity of collision I mean there's always that piece of it but I think in terms of just raw volumes of collisions I don't think we're gonna see an increase Uh, fast you travel if you get an accident usually it's it's worse um, statistically, so just to be kind of clear on but
6: that. What about relevant. this question of the likelihood of serious injury? I mean, we know the laws of physics in terms of the likelihood of a fatality between 25, 35, 45. None of that's changed, right? So even though we think it's exceedingly low probability that we'll have a collision with a pedestrian, if we have a collision at 25 versus 35, the likelihood of serious injury or death <laughs> is significantly increased, is it not?
8: It is, yeah. Okay. Well, on that I point. I think folks are traveling about that speed now, and that's the that's the tough part, you know that's the, the folks are already traveling at 35 ish. Um, so I don't again see much a difference there.
11: I want to inject a couple things here. The reason that you asked for, or I believe that you asked for the study or the investigation to be done by um, by Jason and by Kent is because the state code requires when you're setting a speed limit, That the council can choose to set a speed limit contrary to the standard speed limit set in the code but it has to be based on a traffic and engineering study Mm -hmm. there are also liability sections in the code that say if there's a claim that our design of a road or our setting of a speed limit et cetera et cetera has caused an accident we have immunity from that claim if it's based on a generally recognized engineering or generally recognized standard. My one of the suggestions offered in the memo was that if you want to engage the design consultant to do an engineering analysis of what the what the speed limit should be on that road, I I think you can do that. But I don't think the law allows for council to just because of things it thinks about speeds, et cetera to set the speed limit, and, and that's, that's my concern. Maybe the law is not caught up with, with you know, what we think about speed limits, et cetera, but th- that's what the law says.
0: On these points, my main concern, going back to the first moment we set a speed limit, I don't remember what the year was, uh, has to do with Mayflower. And it had to do with people crossing Mayflower. And I can remember having discussions on our council then about whether it should be signalized, whether there should be ways of really highlighting the fact that people are trying to cross the street there. And I was really quite worried that people would be driving too fast and that the kind of accidents that uh, I guess, Rockney you were referring to would actually occur because people would be going 35 to 45 miles an hour instead of 25 to 32 miles an hour. Uh, but it appears that's not the case. And it, it, other, setting that aside, I'd say it's very clear to me that people are driving the speeds they're driving because the roadway is designed for them to drive those speeds. And to have a lower speed limit now, given the fact that people are not crossing the street anywhere near as much as we thought they were gonna cross it, tells me we should just recognize that fact and say, okay, it's a design road. Let people drive 35 from that from that new point that you re, you've referred to. It's not my ideal scenario, but I think that's what we ought to do.
5: Well, the the other area of concern, Jim, um, going back to when this was in design, was the Mayflower crossing, and also uh, in the environmental assessment, the the uh, the team looked at collision rates and the collision rates at the southern end of the project were considerably higher than what normally would be expected on a street of that type. So that in my mind, when I was looking at it, raised some concerns. I mean, I I was a resident at the time who felt that based on on the mid-block crossing and the fact that the incidence of of collisions was higher than we would expect, and I think one of the key issues that we haven't mentioned is the fact that you have driveways in Kimball that uh, f- that's the section where the collisions are highest, and so it's not so much the through traffic; it's the fact that at that southern end you have cars that are trying to get into traffic from side roads and driveways, and that's where that's where the trouble is. And it's even true south of Park Road. I mean, where, where you enter into the grid and you have all these streets. Uh, intersecting between Park Road and Church, there are lots of collisions as well. So, like Moz was saying, I am concerned, and I think it's in either Donald or Greg's memo that if we if we do increase the speed limit, uh, there's a possibility that the speeds will increase further. Um, I mean that I, I would not be surprised if that would, were to happen, and and it's. Um, one, one, you know, and maybe, maybe we go the route that Eleanor was suggesting, but one, one thought I had had was given that our typical approach with speed limits is we, we post, say, 25, but we're basically designing for 30, that we raise the speed limit to 30 miles per hour, which when I drive it, you know, 25, because the lane widths and everything else are conforming to a higher speed, it, it does seem out of sync. When I drive at 30, it's, it's closer to what I think would be an acceptable speed as a posted speed. Uh, and then there's the issue of, what do we ticket? Because we are designing this is what really frustrates me um, we have designed the road to encourage you know eight, there 15 percent of the, the, the speeds are higher than the 85th percentile speed. Um, so, you know, how do we ticket a situation like that? There are 15 out of 100 cars that the police department has a discretion to ticket, even at 35, probably. Um, that's a very high number. So I, th- that may be a separate issue as to what, what triggers a ticket on this corridor. But um, I am concerned that if we raise raise the speed limit, we're going to see higher speeds. And Pauline offered a solution yeah. to that problem. Right. right. So we, we could test doing it and see what happens um, but keep in mind to say that we are this, the collision rates are no higher than they were before they were higher than as we would normally expect before so that's not a you know that's not necessarily a good thing so John what's your bottom line bottom line I would say is um, we, we could do as Pauline had suggested see what happens with the speeds and then I I so yeah, that alone to me suggests that we we need to make sure, to see what the feedback is on on raising the speed limit.
4: So
0: so I think what I'm hearing is four people in favor of following the staff's recommendation to Who's increase the speed. Only those four people. Those no, three.
4: Only. There's one. There's one, there's Only one. John. Right. I mean, of one, two, three, four. Pauline, she said
3: no, just like John. Right. Just had to stand up. Yes. And Pauline mean? said if, sh- if we monitor, which I would agree with.
4: Are you adding Pauline or not, Jim? What?
0: Pauline there. I wasn't, but she t- is now saying yeah, if you do yeah, the monitoring. Yeah, because if you it wasn't, it's good.
4: only three. Okay. No, it was four. No, it was four. John Bruce,
0: me, Susan, John. Okay. Pauline. Okay. okay. Like Sounds like we have a decision.
4: Like and the decision now just to monitor and make sure it's not well, it's to
0: raise work. the speed as they recommended but th- also continue the speed monitoring. monitoring. Okay. And if it's if it people are starting that. to drive faster. Uh-huh. Then we back. need to know that. Or
4: more okay. accidents too.
0: Or more accidents then we need to know that. Sure. Okay, any other items on the uh, on the Halloween packet? If not, we could move to the council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. So we could start with the Rockney and move to the left. I don't have any
3: update on mine. Nothing. Bruce. Um, no committees to report. CVB.
2: Because I felt uh, I did fill in for the mayor at the CVB meeting, uh, and there was there was uh, quite a bit of discussion on whether we've reached our density on hotel uh... as far as uh... available beds, available units and uh... whether they are gaining or losing as far as on the financial end of that So um, there is i believe they probably have the study that people can uh, look at their website and, and see what they found out on that uh... they also talked at great length about the uh, east side sports complex which i didn't realize that we as a council had come to much of a conclusion about where we were going with that so Uh, But they're talking about it out in in the community uh, as far as that goes. Uh, They were all very excited about the progress on the um, arena in Coralville. And so um, I think they're hoping that the sports complex will kind of play into getting folks to use that complex too. But that's about it. Yeah, good. Susan?
1: Um, Access Center is continuing to move forward. Um, we had a full-day meeting last week with a uh, representative from Amazon Web Services discussing um, kind of how you pull this whole thing together and how you serve the clientele um, and kind of what what the mission is, how you market that, how you show people what it is you're trying to do. it, it was. It, I'm not doing service to the exercise that we did. Chrissy's here in the audience, and she was there as a part of that. There's about 10 of us. And it was it was a really, really good process just talking about, you know, what, what does the client see? What are the issues and pressures for them, for the frontline uh, providers, et cetera? And so just trying to pull a whole lot of things together um, and having, having the individual there who helped run the meeting, who... Um, I can't think of the term I want, but kind of not moderated, but kind of was the facilitator for the meeting, uh, was absolutely excellent. Um, the executive committee met today. I was not able to make it to have some further discussion on names, um, so I'm not exactly sure where that meeting went today. I couldn't couldn't be there. Um, so we're moving forward, and I know they're, uh, they were also going to have some discussion at that meeting on the, the progress of the 28E agreements, but my work prevented me from being there today. So
0: deal moving on john yeah. nothing for me okay nothing for me either so it sounds to me like we're done with our work session for tonight okay
8: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll reconvene at seven